podcast dedicated to making the classics readable, relevant, and fun. As two nerdy bookworms, we appreciate the role of classic lit, but we won't get too academic about it. We'll talk about the books we love and the books we loathe, and help stock your TBR pile with old and new reads for every literary taste. Today, we're discussing horror fiction with special guest Raylan Tornbrin. Raylan, welcome to Novel Pairings. Hi, thank you guys so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. We're excited to talk about horror fiction with you because this is a genre that neither of us feels like an expert in. I think Sarah has probably dipped her toes in a little bit further than I have. But before (laughs) we do a deep dive into this genre, which is very seasonally appropriate for this October episode, I am just curious to hear more about your reading life, what you like to read, who you are as a reader, anything else you would like to share in that realm. Yeah, so typically my genres of choice are going to be literary fiction and horror. I especially like when those two things are combined. And while I don't typically like the term literary horror because it feels like it implies a hierarchy of horror and I'm not interested in being that kind of gatekeeper, um, that does tend to be the stories that I enjoy just because I am a nerd and like doing that literary work. Um Typically, I don't read romance. I'm so sorry, Chelsea. (laughs) But (laughs) I have been pleasantly surprised by a few. Like everyone else on the planet, I love Red, White, and Royal Blue. That book makes me stupidly happy. So (laughs) there are a couple. You don't read a ton of romance, but you do love Jane Austen. And this past year, you've been hosting a Jane Austen read-along. So... I feel like our listeners might be surprised to hear that those two passions lie in the same reader, horror and Jane Austen. Oh, yeah. I super love Jane Austen. I actually, this is my first year reading anything by her. My love of Jane Austen was more a love of the 2005 movie with Keira Knightley. Um, But I have so enjoyed reading her this year, just blown away by how smart and witty she is. It's been great. I am really curious to know if you had a similar entry to horror, because I think there are certainly people who love horror films, and then maybe they get into the books. I'm someone who will avoid horror on screen, but I am more willing to pick it up if it is in print. So how did you get into horror? What was sort of your gateway to the genre? So I don't think I can actually answer that because in my mind, I've always been a horror reader. I've always loved Mm -hmm. horror movies. Um, I think maybe it had to do with just a preference for darker stories. Like even with Disney, like I loved Alice in Wonderland. I loved Pinocchio. The darker ones I just found more interesting. And my mom used to tell this anecdote where my favorite movie when I was five was Species, which is not an (laughs) age-appropriate film at all, if you guys have seen that. I don't think I would even watch that movie now, but yeah, I've just, I've always liked horror and I didn't really have a way to articulate that when I was younger. I just enjoyed the kind of creepy, crawly uh, elements that were involved. I do remember being in fourth grade and 
really seeing what horror was as a genre and solidifying what that meant. I had a, a daycare counselor who I became friends with and I'm actually still friends with today. Hey, Will, if you're listening. Um, <laughs> and he told me like story circle style and he recounted the entire storyline of the video game franchise Silent Hill. And I went home and played it. Um, even from watching Species, you can probably tell I didn't have much supervision when I was a kid. Um, but the Silent Hill franchise is basically a dad and a daughter go to an abandoned town and supernatural things start happening. And I was obsessed with it. And after that, just anything that had to do with horror, I was interested in. That's fascinating. <laughs> so so you mentioned the supernatural. And this is something that I have been curious about for for a while. How how do you define horror as a genre? Because I think sometimes I struggle to differentiate it from thrillers and sci-fi. It just seems like there are a lot of overlaps. Maybe there just are a lot of overlaps, but we like to get, you know, a little bit nerdy here. So teach us a little bit about <laughs> horror as a genre. So I probably define horror more broadly than other horror fans. Um, if you just search on Google, a basic definition will pull up fiction with the intention or capacity to frighten or disgust the reader and viewer. But I don't really love that definition just because what will frighten you as a reader or viewer is going to be based on your own lived experiences. And horror can be so many different things. It can be an aesthetic. Um, there was a recent young adult horror novel called House of Hollow. That one really dives into the aesthetic where there's a fashion house that has like uh, animal carcasses and smoke and it's more of the look of it that makes it horrific. And then there's books like The Luminous Dead, which is really more of a sensation. That book, when you read it, makes you feel very claustrophobic. And for me, who likes, like, I love spelunking. That's something that I enjoy doing. That sensation wasn't scary for me. So it really depends on what you're bringing to the table to see if it's horror. But I do think that there are certain things we can look at in order to see what elements are at play. You mentioned science fiction. When I say the movie Alien, what do you think of forced? Science fiction or horror? To me, that's horror. Okay. It's really scary. I watched it recently. <laughs> <laughs> at least the first one. Then the rest of the series, I would call more science fiction. And I probably <laughs> sure. would never watch it before bed. So <laughs> it could be horror or it could just be a little too scary for sensitive Chelsea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. So it can, it's really slippery when we start to like find those genre divides. And again, I think it just depends on each personal reader. I know my personal favorite horror movie is Ari Aster's Midsommar, which getting super nerdy, I would define that as folk horror because it has to do with like tilling the earth and like making these sacrifices in order to keep societal alignment going. But I have so many friends who say that's not a horror movie because it didn't scare them. And I don't think horror needs to be scary so much as it needs to be in conversation with certain anxieties. 
you as the viewer might not have those anxieties, but that doesn't mean they're not there. That's really interesting because I feel like the conversations about horror that I've heard, at least recently, have been from readers who say they read horror or they watch horror because of their anxiety. And it almost is something that makes them feel empowered or kind of makes them feel like, well, if I can watch this or if I can read this, then I can get through anything. (laughs) And I find that fascinating. As someone who does live with anxiety and falls on the total opposite side of the spectrum where I just like don't want those physical sensations that I would get watching a horror movie because it makes me too anxious. I find that so fascinating from readers who are like, yes, I read this because of my anxiety. That's not a question. I'm just, I'm just really fascinated by that (laughs) process and the psychology of it. Yeah. I love hearing that. And I, I wish I had more details of into the psychology of it because I'm definitely in that first camp very recently I was watching the Netflix um, Fear Street franchise and I went into my work really pumped and just ready to go and everybody else was in a bad mood and I was like guys it's because you didn't watch a slasher movie before you came to work you're not prepared (laughs) and I know that might be weird for people (laughs) no (laughs) whatever gets your adrenaline going I love hearing about these subgenres within horror as well. Are there any other horror subgenres that you particularly like or that you think might be particularly interesting to our listeners? So, my personal favorite sub- subgenre is cosmic horror. And I think specifically right now in 2021, things are really interesting in that subgenre. Um, so, cosmic horror. Very briefly, it's just um, essentially think of H.P. Lovecraft. It's monsters and just universal forces that have zero interest in you. And you get caught up in them, but it's just that feeling of being so small and insignificant in the grand scheme of things. And typically, cosmic horror is a very male-dominated genre because of H.P. Lovecraft And I think that more women are starting to work in that genre. And so you're getting a lot of interesting things about, I don't want to say like millennial angst, but some of the books that are coming out feel like horror meets Rachel Cusk, where you have those millennial lamentations with monsters. And I'm really interested in those. I know that we asked you to bring some titles here today, and we'll get to those later in our conversation. But do you have just a couple of examples of cosmic horror that you could cite for us? Um, So most recently, and I I do have this in my list, was um, The Hollow Places by T. Kingfisher, who is a woman. She just writes under a masculine name like so many women writers. But that one is a uh, really fun cosmic horror. And the woman in the story is just getting out of a relationship. She's just starting kind of a new chapter of her life. And before the episode recorded, we started talking about ennui and just being so tired of jobs. And that's the setup for the story before she gets into the monster part. And I just, I love that context to set up the narrative. I've gotten to talk with you a little bit off mic about horror and just it seems like such an interesting genre for commenting on very real 
human experiences, whether that is anxiety or ennui or that feeling of insignificance. I I find that fascinating and that <laughs> makes me really want to read more horror because I like Yay. thinking about the way genre does that. But then I get a little bit scared too. So <laughs> that's where I am with this. But but why why do you read horror, Raylan? What do you what does it add to your reading life? So very first answer to that is because I like it. And mm-hmm. great answer. I think that that should be why anybody reads anything. Um, but if we're delving into more why I like it, it's definitely because I'm interested in those same questions. Last year, there was a panel with Ocean Vuong and Chanel Miller in which Vuong talks about how when he writes poetry, he really likes working with metaphors because metaphors are useful when dealing with trauma because it provides a buffer. Some things are just too tender to address head on. And I think horror almost exclusively exists in the realm of metaphor, Um, even slasher movies. Almost all horror can be read allegorically for some kind of trauma, whether that be societal or personal. I think that the best example for this, or at least the most um, readily available example, is with zombies. So with that, I'm speaking specifically or thinking specifically of the Dawn of the Dead movie and the, um, the original 70s version directed by George A. Romero. So that movie was... I think the first time that zombies as we know it really entered the cultural zeitgeist and that movie takes place in a mall. The characters are trapped in a mall. They're fighting off zombies. And so you can read that as this allegory that's really focusing on societal anxieties with capitalism run amok and over-consumerism. But the main reason I like horror is because you can watch that movie without doing any of that literary work. It's there if you want it, but you can watch that movie and it just be a really fun movie. And so I really appreciate when stories work in layers like that. I I agree. I think that stories that can be read on multiple levels are always the best stories. Like if you can read it and just have pure enjoyment, but also mine it a little bit more if you feel like it, those are my favorite types of reading experiences as well. I think that's a reason why people tend to shy away from literary fiction is that they assume that they have to do that work. And that is often the case, but I think a lot of horror disguises itself as literary fiction. And so it can do both. And I just, I'm always really, really amazed by how writers can juggle all of those different balls. And it's just really fun to read. I love thinking about it. I really like thinking about genre fiction, particularly as a romance reader, which you said at the beginning, you're like, oh, I don't love romance. I'm sorry. No need to be sorry for reading preferences here. (laughs) But also, I think we probably could have some really interesting conversations about the way genre fiction is treated um, and the ways that you can read genre fiction. I, I don't know. I just think in general, that conversation is really fascinating. And horror certainly gets sort of, you know, pushed to one, maybe one shelf in the bookstore. I know very few bookstores have a really wide horror selection, just like very few um, independent bookstores have a very big romance selection. And so I'm curious to hear, as someone who would be totally willing to pick up a horror novel in broad daylight, (laughs) (laughs) 
um, what, what what argument would you make for for maybe the beginners or the starters who are horror reluctant? What would you what would you say to us? It's funny because I again would just go back to you know if you don't like it it's okay you know horror is not for everybody and if it's not for you then that's fine. I don't think that anybody like needs to read horror. I do think that horror can be used as a tool to make you a more thoughtful reader. Um, So a lot of books that people wouldn't necessarily consider horror still use a lot of elements of horror. And I think if you have that in your like reading toolkit, you might notice things that you might not have otherwise. Um, I know since picking up a couple romance novels, I've noticed other things in books. And I do think that romance and horror both suffer from that genre bias. A lot of people don't take it seriously, and I think that's totally unfair. What are a couple of those things that you would have readers look for from the horror genre if they're not picking up horror novels, but they're maybe picking up something adjacent that might use some of the horror stuff? So I have that um, jumping a little bit ahead in one of my reading recommendations. I actually have a work of literary criticism, um, The Powers of Horror by Julia Kristeva, which I'm obsessed with this essay, but it is also a little difficult to read. French criticism is notoriously difficult to get into. I've probably read this essay six times in its entirety, and I still don't understand it fully. But objection is something that horror novels employ pretty often and just very quickly the abject is when you become not you. So in a crass way, like if I pick my nose, is my booger a part of me or is it not me? When I throw that away, is that's the abject. But abject can be used in a more metaphorical way in terms of um, like social groups. So Sally Rooney uses the abject, especially in normal people. Marianne is a social pariah at her school. She's abused. And so her being shoved into the corner is a form of social objection. And even though Sally Rooney is by no means a horror author, that is definitely something that could be in conversation with works like Stephen King. Um, When I read Normal People, I was thinking about Carrie Mm. and Pig's Blood. (laughs) So even though they go in two different directions, they're working with the same medium. That's fascinating. And we've talked quite a bit on the podcast about the way genre fiction and literary fiction, there's not this hard divide. And I think the classics are a really great way to see that, too, because so many of the books that we call classics that we read in school are genre fiction. And were considered genre fiction when they were written. So we've covered Frankenstein on the podcast and talked about it as horror and sci-fi. And I, I just, I think that's a really great insight to think about the way all of these authors are in conversation with each other. It's not just this line of like the most literary of writers talking to each other across time. Oh, totally. And I think You know, we always hold up Shakespeare as this golden example of literary work. And he was totally a genre writer. Going into romance, horror, Titus Andronicus is one of the most like horrific things I've ever read. And that has to do with the abject. And a lot of works are in conversation with that. But then we have Midsummer's Night Dream and 
it all works together. All right, Raylan. Well, now that we have a little bit more insight into what exactly horror fiction is, some ideas about why we might want to try it, who it might be a good fit for, we really want to dive into your book recommendations. So you came with a handful of books for us, and some of these are your favorites. Some of them are kind of starter books for new horror readers, and we can't wait to hear about them. So what is your first recommendation? Okay, so this first one I think is probably the most new horror reader friendly. It's definitely horror adjacent. I don't think it's scary, but I'm not the best judge of that because I don't really think anything is scary. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, But this book is White is for Witching by Helen Oyeyemi. Um, So this is just flat out one of my favorite books of all time. It is a gothic haunted house story where it's a family is living in a racist haunted house. And so the book is really interested in systemic racism and what living in that environment does to your psyche. And so the main character, Miranda, has pica and she eats chalk. And along with that, she's living along the white cliffs of Dover, which are made out of chalk. So the story literally begins with a young girl consuming whiteness And that's the setup of this just fantastic story that is exploring trauma and racism and reconciliation. Um, On some levels, it can also be read as a Carmilla retelling with Miranda being a young vampire. And there's just so much going on in this work. I do think that people tend to be afraid of reading Oyeyemi because her work can be a little absurd and hard to penetrate. I do think that this is her most accessible novel up until like the last chapter, which really gets crazy, but it's amazing. I love this book too. And I paired it with Jane Eyre. Ooh! But I am so glad that listeners have your description of this as well, because I think you're highlighting different things than I highlighted for it as a Jane Eyre pairing. And so if you need another push, another reason to pick up White is for Witching, um, I think Raylan just sold that book very well. All right. What else do you have for us, Raylan? So my next book, and I think that this is also going to be a co-sign with you, Sarah, is The Dangers of Smoking in Bed by Mariana Enriquez. So this is a short story collection, and while it is definitely horror, I think it's still pretty accessible for people new to the genre because it does skew towards the more literary side. It is, as a whole, heavily focused on civil unrest in Argentina um, and dealing with disappearances that have happened in the country. A lot of those stories are informed by that and deal with them in a supernatural way. So going back to talking about a metaphor in poetry, um, Emily Dickinson, my favorite poem by her, it begins, tell all the truth, but tell it slant, success in circuit lies. And the ending of that poem is, the truth must dazzle gradually or every man be blind. And while that poem is most often read as a celebration of poetry and of metaphor, I think it can be understood to be talking about trauma as well. The truth isn't always amazing. Sometimes it's traumatic. And in the case of disappearances in Argentina, it's incredibly traumatic. 
the story collection is another way of coming into those uh, traumas at a slant and being able to really dive into them in a way that isn't going to be traumatic for the reader, even though it's dealing with very real traumas. Short stories feel like a friendlier entry to the horror genre for me as well, because they're bite-sized. So like I said, you can read one in the daylight and that can be your dose of horror for the day if you, you know, really want to get into the genre, but maybe can't handle several chapters. I love your short story recommendation here. Totally. Um, For me, I I mentioned earlier that things don't scare me, but there is one type of horror that does still get to me, and that's body horror. Um, And this one has a short story where the main character has a sexual fetish with the human heartbeat. And I had to put this book down after reading that story. That one really, really got under my skin. That sounds very Poe-like. Yeah, that one freaked me too. <laughs> yeah, it was so Poe-like, but like creepier. <laughs> yeah, I I liked this collection too. I and I agree with you, Chelsea. That short stories are somewhat friendlier entry because you also you finish the story, you mm-hmm. know, in one sitting. And it's not that everything is necessarily resolved and isn't going to haunt you further, but. There's something about being in the middle of a scary story over a prolonged period of time that I think, I don't know, just it it occupies your brain space a little bit differently than reading one story start to finish in in one go. Totally. (laughs) Speaking of long books, (laughs) your next one for us, Raylan, is a classic. Tell us a little bit about it. Okay. It's The Shining by Stephen King. This will not be new to anybody on the planet, but I think very few people that I talk to at least have actually read it. And look, you guys have to do an episode on The Shining. I think it would be so fun. And I'm thinking of the Slaughterhouse-Five episode where you both were surprised by how much you liked the book. And I think you guys would both really like this book. It has huge English teacher (laughs) energy. It is so fun to close read. Just there's so many nuggets on every page. I could write, I could write so many essays on this book alone. Um, But one thing that I really love about this one specifically is that it's very scary. It is genuinely terrifying and it's incredibly smart. And it goes back to that whole books that you can do the literary work or not and it's still an enjoyable read and I think this really really captures that Um, in this book you can see King working through the problem of wanting to be a serious writer and wanting to write horror and I think um, he's responding specifically to a literary critic named Harold Bloom who very famously hates Stephen King and has gone on multiple rants about why Stephen King is pulpy and trash and You can see him working through that in this book, and it's very interesting while being very entertaining. That sounds fun. I'm up for it. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe we'll have to do it over the summer. So there are a lot of (laughs) daylight hours for us to read it. I've been intrigued by King. My husband reads 
a decent amount of Stephen King, like maybe one year, every other year. He really got into his fantasy series. I think it's the Gunslinger series, which I have. The Dark Tower. That one, yeah. Yeah. Um, which I have no desire of ever going near. It's just, I know it's not for me. It's so good. <laughs> I've, I will believe you and move <laughs> forward with, with my reading. Um, he really liked it, but he has a few on the shelf. And so I'm always like, hmm. I could. I mean, he's one of those authors that you just feel like you have to read in your lifetime. At least once. And not that I'm pitching the Dark Tower series, but that one is really fun for metafiction. Um, Stephen King is mm -hmm. himself a character in the book. And there's a lot of multidimensional travel and the characters encounter Stephen King writing their story. And I don't know. I just think that that's so much fun. So you said The Shining isn't your favorite. What is your favorite, Stephen King? So my favorite Stephen King is Misery, <laughs> mostly just because it is such a fun read. I think I read it in an, a single sitting. I love that book. That I actually have that one on my shelf. I started the movie at one point and it was so scary. <laughs> but like you said at the beginning, Chelsea, I feel like I could maybe do more real horror on the page than on the screen just because of what affects me most because I'm not really a sensitive reader in general. So misery is another one that I think you would like as English teachers, um, just because it does have a lot of that literary work that you can do. He is writing a story and as the keyboard is losing um, letters, he is losing fingers and there's a lot of like symmetry that goes on in that story. And that's always fun to pick apart. We will strongly consider covering Stephen King on the podcast, <laughs> um, but we might have to have you back for it. <laughs> I would love to. <laughs> what do you have up next for us? So next is on my list is The Powers of Horror by Julia Kristeva, and I won't linger on this just because I did already talk about that, um, but if you are looking for a more academic read, and let me be clear, this is very academic, I don't want to you know, sound super highbrow recommending this. I want to stress that I do not understand this book, <laughs> but there is so much in it that is worth it. I actually just have a quick passage that I think really sells why this would work, not just in horror, but in literary, um, just in thoughtful reading in general. But in talking about the object, she writes, what is abject, the jettisoned object is radically excluded and draws me towards the place where meaning collapses. And I just love that because it really gets at problems of identity and psyche and on a societal level where systems end and begin. And it's if you're interested in those things, it's definitely worth diving into. This next one on your list, you also just barely touched on, but I'm really intrigued by it. You talked a little bit briefly about The Hollow Places by T. Kingfisher as cosmic horror, but can you tell us just a little bit more about maybe some of the monsters that we might encounter if we do pick this up? Yes. So cosmic horror, in general, the monsters are very abstract. Um, so I think the most famous cosmic horror monster is Cthulhu, H.P. Lovecraft. It's like an elder being. Again, not interested in you, doesn't care if you die, if you get in its way. It's all the same to him. Um, and this book is working in that genre. So the main character, as I mentioned, she 
moves in with her uncle after a breakup and he has this museum that's kind of like a cabinet of curiosities and she's cataloging all of the things that he owns. In doing this, she finds a portal to this kind of liminal space where other worlds collide. And it's essentially a marshy landscape with willow trees. And the monsters are the spaces between the willows when they blow back and forth in the wind. And when you watch them, you see things in them. And it just psychologically damages you and makes you see other things. And so this character is dealing with a transition point in her own life she's in her own liminal space um, between relationships between chapters of adulthood leaving a real job hope you can hear my scare quotes and (laughs) trying to find something different but then also going into this monstrous liminal state and again I love when books have that parallel structure but also the monsters in this book are terrifying. I know me saying it's a willow tree does not sound scary, but when you read it in the context of the story, it is some of the best imagery I've ever read. To use another English major term, that juxtaposition between something that we would think of as so peaceful and beautiful with something horrific actually sounds extra horrifying yeah. <laughs> to me. All right. Next on your list, you have something that you compare to Misery by Stephen King, which is your your favorite um, favorite King. Tell us a little bit about The Hole. Yeah, so this is um, The Hole by Hu Young Pyun. This is uh, translated from Korean, and it is psychological horror, very similar to Misery. It is about a young man who loses, um, he loses use of his legs because he's in a car accident, and so he's stuck in a room with his mother-in-law as his sole caretaker. And the entirety of the story takes place in that single room. And I think that when writers can use a single setting and the story not get boring, that that is just, just shows a mastery of the craft. So on a writing level, I think it's just very impressive. But also some of the musings in the novel he starts thinking about like what is a life worth living, what makes up a life. Um, he starts like reliving his life and seeing if he's measured up to his ideals and how his ideals are changing. And while this is happening, he's also trying to escape his mother-in-law, who is very unhappy about having to take care of him. <laughs> and it gets slowly more and more horrific. And this is another one that I would say is more on the literary side. Um I don't personally think this one is scary so much as it's unsettling. So it could be a good one if you're not sold on the genre yet. Okay. I think we have time for a couple more recommendations. So what are some other ones that you have for us, Raylan? Okay. I have two more on my list. Um, This next one is Naomi's Room by Jonathan Acliffe. If you Google scariest horror books ever written, this is on all of the lists. And I read this as a kind of challenge to be like, oh yeah, sure. It's scary. (laughs) We'll see about that. And I took it on a camping trip and read it exclusively in the dark when I was the only one awake. (laughs) And let me tell you, that is not what I would recommend doing. (laughs) This book scared me so bad. I had to get up and use the restroom at one point and it's like three in the morning, (laughs) like no moon out. Oh my God. I was 
terrified. <laughs> so very briefly, this book is about um, a family that goes out for holiday shopping during Christmas time. And in the scramble between like all the shops, the daughter goes missing. And she turns up dead very graphically a couple days later, but they keep seeing her ghost in her room, but not just her ghost. They start seeing uh, different things from past inhabitants of the house. And I don't want to say any more than that because it's a very short book and so it can get into spoiler territory. But this is another one that it is dealing with um, traumas and like abuse. So trigger warning for that. But yeah, this is may- maybe because of the atmosphere, but it's probably one of the scariest books I've ever read. Kim, okay, I'm not going to no. choose that. <laughs> All right, give us one more, Raylan. Okay, this next one is from my TBR, so I haven't read this one yet, but it just sounded so amazing I had to include it. Um, it is White Smoke by Tiffany D. Jackson. And this one is a young adult horror novel. Um, It's being described as a mashup of The Haunting of Hill House and Get Out, which I'm just like already sold. I don't even need to know what it's about past that. Um, It's the same author as Grown and Monday's Not Coming. I've read Monday's Not Coming, and that's one that I would say is horror adjacent, almost more of a thriller, but it just sounded really excellent. So this is just from the publisher blurb. says, Marigold is running from ghosts. The phantoms of her old life keep haunting her, but a move with her newly blended family from their small California beach town to the embattled Midwestern city of Cedarville might be the fresh start she needs. Her mom has accepted a new job with the Sterling Foundation that comes with a free house, one that Mari has to share with her her bratty 10-year-old stepsister Piper. And from there, it just goes on to talk about how it's going to be a haunted house novel, a lot of early reviewers are saying that it has some like insect things. So I am excited for that. Like I mentioned, body horror is the main one that still gets under my skin. And so this uh, seems like it might be along those lines. So I'm excited for that. I actually love Tiffany D. Jackson. Yeah, I was going to ask Chelsea, have you read Monday's, I've read Not, Monday's Coming? Not Coming? Allegedly and Let Me Hear a Rhyme. So actually really like a lot of her work. I haven't read Grown yet, but I have an advanced listening copy of White Smoke sitting in my Libro FM queue. So that's probably the one I'm most likely to pick up off of this list. Ooh, I can't wait to hear what you think about it. YA feels, YA horror feels a little safer for me. I'm not going to lie. I think like short stories, that's such a great gateway. But I also just, I started reading Tiffany D. Jackson to recommend her books to students because I knew a lot of teenagers who loved horror and those books went over so well in the classroom. That's that's not surprising. I definitely remember like having horror movie nights as a teenager and I just never grew out of that phase. So that makes sense to me. (laughs) (laughs) Raylan, thank you so much for those recommendations. I can't get over how much diversity of subgenre, authorship, storytelling is in these recommendations. So it's so clear you put a ton of thought into these for our listeners and we just appreciate it so much. I can't wait to hear what our listeners think and which of these books they pick up. I will say to our listeners, so I read one of these books 
with Raylan. We kind of read at the same time the dangers of smoking in bed and being able to ask Raylan some questions about horror fiction and talk a little bit about it with her was such a helpful experience. And Raylan, you run a horror book club through your Instagram and on Discord, I think. So will you tell us a little bit about that? Yes. And thank you so much for saying that. I am blushing right now. I feel like such a teacher's pet right now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I run that with my friend, Rachel. Um, We run this book club called the Night Shift Book Club. It's one book a month and we kind of follow your guys' model for the podcast in that we read a classic horror novel and then a contemporary within the same trope. So we've only been doing it for a few months now. Our first trope we did was Haunted House. So we read uh, Shirley Jackson, We, We Have Always Lived in the Castle, and White is for Witching. And then right now we are in our vampire segment. So we read Carmilla as the classic. And then right now we are currently reading Sylvia um, Grace Moreno's uh, Certain Dark Things. So if you want to come discuss that, we're here for you. And a sneak peek, our next segment is going to be Haunted Objects. So I'm really excited for that. Awesome. Well, we will include links to all of that in, in our show notes. And you can follow Raylan at Reading Reverie on Instagram and on YouTube where she posts video essays. Will you share a little bit about that too, Raylan? Yeah. So my video essays are a little chaotic. They kind of go into genre studies, into um, the different books that I'm reading, as well as movies I'm watching. So right now you can watch um, my first video up is about the use of blood in Gone Girl and how it relates to Shakespeare. And if you follow me or talk to me at all, you know that I'm very obsessed with Gone Girl. So I'm so excited to have that out. And then currently I am working on a second video, which is a cheeky discussion of why horror is the best genre. (laughs) I love it. I'm really looking forward to viewing those essays. It sounds very nerdy and totally up our alley. (laughs) So thank you for sharing those. So again, reading.reverie, that's on Instagram. That's where you can find Raylan and then the same handle on YouTube. And of course, you can find us over at Novel Pairings Pod on Instagram. We're so excited to hear your response to this episode for you to tell Raylan which book you're going to pick up based on her recommendations. And we're just really eager to hear from you. If you would like to chat with us and the rest of our Classics Club on Patreon, where we share live and recorded classes, bonus episodes, and extra behind-the-scenes content, you can go to patreon.com slash novelpairings to join our community. Be the first to know about our Instagram live schedules and other goings-on by signing up for our weekly newsletter. That's at novelpairings.substack.com. Thank you to Miles Eichner and Mark Anderson for our theme music. Next week, we'll be back with an episode discussing The Yellow Wallpaper by Charlotte Perkins Gilman. Until then, we declare after all, there is no enjoyment like reading. How much sooner one tires of anything than of a book.